0: keys, I've got some keys. Romans 8:12, um 8, 12, 13, 14 and 18 says this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, not to us, in us. The key to the restoration of all things is the restoration of the image and glory of God in and through us. We were created to be the revelation of God's glory in the earth. And here's the creational mandate to humankind again, carry the glory of God. We have the capacity to contain the glory of God because it's to be revealed in and through us. And the Christian walk is all about the glory of God, the presence of God, the image of God, and our ability to portray it as we walk through this world. Therefore everything hinges on the question of identity. Who am I? Am I merely dust? Or am I more than that? What's my true identity? What's your true identity? And am I living in it? I am dust, but my truest identity is to reflect the image and likeness of God, so the pursuit of identity and the true basis of my identity is the key to my life. Living in my truest identity is the key to my spiritual life. It's the key to the glory of God. It's the key to the corruption of creation being restored because restoration will come when the man of dust finally accepts his identity. Some of you might have seen the manifestations video, weren't they, they were called some years ago where they had these huge carrots and turnips and onions and the size of your arm, where there was such a move of God that, uh, uh, and the unity of the church because of the move of God, the, the earth began to give forth what it was meant to give forth in the first place. South America. South America. That's it. And as I, I said, uh, have you ever noticed when they went, the spies went in to look at the land the first time, it took two men to carry a bunch of grapes. That uh, That land was going to bring forth the glory of God when the people of God went in there. But of course they missed it and went round and by the time they came back their grapes were not that size. <laughs> so there's some some things going on here. And the whole creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons, the fully mature huios of God. And sons bear the image of the Father Sons bear the DNA of the man of heaven and portray that image in the earth. So we've got two issues, identity and image, what we portray. If you're unsure of who you are, if you're not happy in your skin, you will unconsciously be portraying something you want people to see. That is what advertising is all about. The advertising world is all about portraying something to others about your identity. Look people, this is who I am. Because the world has lost its identity, it was lost when Adam fell. Satan can only copy, he can't create. So we become photocopies of each other, look-alikes. That's what peer pressure is all about. Looking the same as everyone else. But God is creative. He didn't design us to be copies but originals, every one. Every snowflake, I understand, is different. Being conformed to the image of someone other than Jesus is bondage. So people out there don't know who they are. Their identity is in what they wear, the fashionable clothes, the people they're seen with, their jobs, their houses, their designer labels, their paraphernalia which they need to give them some sense of this is who I am, this is who or what I want you to see and this is what I identify with. This gives me an identity. So you get pop groups being followed around and idolatry off them and they look alike because that's the identity they want. Satanic. Most of us grew up in an environment where we had to play a game to be accepted. We had to put on an image that was acceptable or, if we wanted to be bad, a nasty image because that might have drawn the attention that we needed. We played around with this image. We played around with what we portrayed in order to project a certain identity to those around us and make us feel good about ourselves. That was very important. Self-image and all that stuff is what or who you seek to portray. Some of those brought up in a Christian environment would have put on the persona of a good Christian boy or girl without having the slightest idea about their true identity. It was an all an act to conform to parental expectation or the church you happened to go to. It was not a manifestation of the glory of God. If you're still in that trap today playing a part to make yourself feel better about yourself or please someone else, do yourself a favour and repent. Change your mind. Stop trying to conform to the world's image. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us specifically not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what I'm trying to achieve here is to cause you to think about bringing your image of yourself in line with your true identity. So what you portray is actually who you are. So our new DNA in Christ is what the world sees. And as I started with, the Lord will say to you, it is my perception of you that must govern your life. It's my perception of you that must govern your life. Not your perception of yourself. Not how you think you're measuring up or not measuring up. Because that just doesn't come into the equation. He doesn't measure you like that. It's what he sees. And he sees you in Jesus. As I said to the girls we're talking very much about what it means to be in Christ Jesus. In him we have everything we need. And God has placed us in the one place where we get everything, all our needs met. This morning before you guys came we did a prophetic act because God, I was sitting there while there was some worship going on and there was a set of footprints behind the sofa and there was water in each set of footprints. Mm -hmm. And prophetically we came and stood in those footprints where the water level is rising. And we presented ourselves to God and said, Don't understand this, Lord. But there is a place in the Spirit that's mine. There's a place in the Spirit where I'm like Adam, face to face, eye to eye, mouth to mouth, nose to nose with you. I have access. Jesus gave me the access. And we stood in that place by a, a prophetic act in order that he can open up to us what his dream for our lives is. He dreams over us. He has got a dream for your life. And as I said to the girls, if you have prophetic words over your life, dig them out. Look at them. Because that's what he wants to breathe life into. That is who you are. It will tell you who you are as far as he's concerned. He'll never speak to your negativity. He won't do it. So the adjustments God is making in our lives changing us from one degree of glory to another is so that our image comes in line with our identity. And God's looking for integrity, that's as I said before that we're the same on the inside as we are on the outside. He's not looking for us to be hypocrites on the outside when our integrity is in question on the inside. He wants what's on the inside coming out. He's looking for reality. And the whole of creation is looking for reality. Jesus upset the Pharisees, you remember, because he accused them of addressing the externals and not the internals. He told them they were whitewashed sepulchres full of dead men's bones. That's religion. Outward and external change, leaving the inside untouched. Religion's an image job, it addresses the externals, not the internals so that you look like a good little Christian girl with your Bible under your arm and your tambourine in your other hand as you go to the (coughs) meeting on Sunday. We're called to life in the Spirit and the life of the heavenly man changes things internally. God's intention is to restore all things. When you became a Christian what really happened was that you became a new creation, not a makeover. You are a new creation. God has recreated you in what was there at the beginning. You're part of the heavenly man in the man of dust. Something has been recreated in you. You're not a whitewashed tomb. God has breathed his own breath of life into you exactly as he did into Adam. And if you want to see this, have a look at John 20. 22. And this is the rebirth. This is a scripture I find people just don't know is there or don't recognise what was happening. Who's preached it? John 20, 22. This is after Jesus' ascension and he's come back down and he's meeting them on the Inside of the closed doors where they were because they were frightened of the Jews. And Jesus says in verse um, twenty-one. He said to them again, peace to you. Just stop fretting, guys. Just as the Father has sent me forth, so I am sending you. And having said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now having received the Holy Spirit and being led and directed by him, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of anyone, they're retained. But the verse I wanted was the breathing. Remember we looked just now at what God did when he breathed that explosive breath into the lifeless form of Adam this is exactly what happened to you at the moment you were born again his breath came into you receive the Holy Spirit this is not the baptism of the Spirit this is the rebirth so these disciples were the first born again believers up to that moment they had been Old Testament believers now they were the first members of the church and just like in the Garden of Eden he said receive. When you're born again from above the Ruach which is the Hebrew word and the Pneuma which is the Greek word for the spirit or breath of God came into you to restore that which was lost. You're born not of the will of man not of the flesh but of God. The life of God is in you it's done. The DNA of the heavenly man is released in you Jesus too was a man born both of the earth and the heavenly. He left his throne above, took on the form of the man, earthly, but was filled with the spirit, heavenly. He became like us in every way. He knows what it means to live in the tension of two kingdoms. Jesus came to put a face on God and we're here to put a face on Jesus. 1 John four seventeen says, As he is, So are we in this world. We live in the two realities because God wants his kingdom to come on this earth as it is in heaven. It isn't just that we bear the image, it's that we do the works. It's a supernatural identity and a supernatural lifestyle. We are just dust, but we contain the glory of God. And just to finish, Ephesians 2.20 says, For we are his workmanship. I think the Greek is poema. We are his poem. Created in Christ Jesus, I think Graham says he writes a verse of the poem of his life every year. So he's got this long poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry. Good morning, and here we are, day two. This will be now the 11th of October, uh, Saturday the 11th of October 2008, and we're on the Conform to His Image School he sees you today as you will be on that day. In the matter of our ongoing transformation into becoming Christ-like there are two extremes at work. Firstly there's how the Father sees us in Christ, that's a finished work, and secondly there's how we see ourselves as we go through that process of change. God is present future with us not present past. That is, he deals with us in terms of who we are already in Christ. This is an eternal work and it's already completed in Jesus. The Father deals with us through the context of eternity. The Holy Spirit works with us in the context of the here and now. We are present future with God, in Christ, learning to be Christ-like. Jesus stands in the gap between our present and our future interceding for us Hebrews 7:25. isn't that lovely the Holy Spirit promotes Christ to us and Christ in us as the hope confident expectation of glory in the Father's eyes though seen through the lens of Jesus we are complete in Christ and welcome in the throne room of his presence So far as the Father is concerned, he only ever sees that finished product. He doesn't see us in our natural state, but in our supernatural state. He speaks to us and prophesies to us about who we are becoming. He will never talk to us about our weakness or our negativity. To communicate with him means we have to begin to see ourselves as he sees us and live in that place. Our journey is the process we're in, the daily transformation into His image. Everything that isn't like Jesus, the Holy Spirit will put His finger on and kiss next. So if you're having a problem with attitudes, God will be actually kissing that area to deal with it and conform it into the image of Christ. We can be bold in our quest for mercy and grace, we can be bold about being in Jesus and humble about our current place of growth in becoming Christ-like. It is a wonderful and unique place of favour in which God the Father has placed us before him. He treats us as complete while we are still a work in progress. This means that grace, favour and inheritance can come to us because of his acceptance of us in the Beloved. Ephesians one six. It's not because of our performance. It doesn't matter whether we perform well or badly. What matters is our position in Christ. This alone gives us huge boldness to come before the Father, knowing that he has gifts and favour to bestow upon us as he would bestow them on Jesus. So we're humble on earth and confident in heaven. Jesus said to the woman of the well at Samaria if you knew the gift of God and who it is that offers you you would drink and never thirst again. I wonder how many of us today have actually never realized fully the gift of God. The priceless impartation we received when we were born again from above. When our complete DNA was changed and we became new creations in Christ when the old really did pass away and all things became new. How many of us are still locked in the negativity of yesterday, of the powerlessness we felt before we became Christians? How many of us still display the same lack of self-esteem and fear of others' opinions and I don't want a show of hands? I wonder how many of us actually understand what it is to be a new creation in Christ. Do we really understand and appreciate what it is to be in him and dead to our old self? Today we're going to push further into this whole question of what exactly happened the moment we believed and received Jesus as Lord and Saviour and we'll do some exploring about our new DNA. We're going to build into a place in the spirit today so try to listen with your spirit rather than your ears. I intend that you will think differently about God the Father after this session and that you will see yourself differently too. It may be that we all need to think in a more positive powerful and faith-filled manner. Let's leave our negativity at the door and receive from God. Everyone's life produces evidence of what they believe is true whether that is positive or negative. You can tell what people believe by how they live, what they say, and what they do. You can tell me what you believe, but if your life doesn't display it, then I'm going to doubt that you actually believe what you're saying. That's not a criticism, it's a diagnosis. Part of my function is diagnosing the ills in the body of Christ and bringing remedies. So don't get offended. If you believe that you are a citizen of another country and are truly born again from above, your life should be displaying power and authority. Power and authority over yourself first and over the situations in which you find yourself. Your life should be characterized by joy and laughter, not doubt, negativity and unbelief. Your life will be characterised by total, childlike dependence on the Holy Spirit and His ability to produce in you the character and nature of the Lord Jesus. It starts with a simple will choice. I choose to believe all that God says about me and I turn my back on what I think. Simple as that. God is a dreamer. He has dreams about you. He has a dream for your life. question is, are you prepared to walk with him into it? This dream means that you're going to have to lay down any dreams you have to enable the greater dream, his dream, to become a reality. God is very intentional and purposeful towards us. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope, and a future. Jeremiah twenty We've already seen that God didn't just create the world and wind it up like a clockwork orange and leave it to run. He has a plan for you and it is an eternal plan and he is part of it. In fact he's all of it. He wants, as Graham says, his enjoyment too. One of the purposes of this weekend is to get you moving in step with his plan, his dream for your life. To really know and understand at a very deep level that he loves you and has good thoughts towards you. Plans for your welfare, not your calamity. It will be necessary for you to match his intentionality by saying yes to him at various times even though you may not know what that yes may lead to. You won't be the first. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going and God had a plan to start a nation through him. How's that for a big dream? Abraham went out in simple obedience and that's the major key to the Christian life, obedience. Obedience and faith are the two steps that we take to keep us in step with the Father's plans for our lives. Obedience is not an optional extra. Delayed obedience is, guess what, disobedience. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot when we delay doing anything He's asked us to do. So God has a goal and a dream for our life, something that will be realized provided we make the right responses. It always depends on our responses. He always initiates our part is simply to respond. Our part is not to be able to do this thing, just to be able to say, yes. Once you've settled this issue, you can be at peace. God will touch area after area in your life, bringing everything under his dominion and rule. Be at peace. He isn't expecting you to do anything but say, yep, that needs seeing to doesn't need to be a painful process. You get to choose. The pain depends on how you approach the issue. God's touch can be a gentle caress if we will lay down our own will and agenda and let him work unhindered. That you may say is where the trouble starts constant battle between the soul man and the spirit man this is what causes the conflict within us Mary and Martha are at loggerheads with each other like two boxes in a bag Jesus came to set us free from ourselves, from our magnificent obsession with ourselves, with me that's what the cross did, when Jesus was crucified at Calvary, you were crucified, Paul says so I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. Not I, but Christ, is the nub of the whole issue of Lordship. Not I, but Christ, no longer my life, but His. That soul of yours will not die quietly. It's been used to being in the ascendancy for many years and it isn't going to let go without a struggle. Without even realising it, we can take over the Holy Spirit's role of bringing ourselves under God's benevolent dictatorship. I'll do it, we say. So we get hold of the issue, put it in the oven for a while, and wait until we think it's done. Then we take it back again, achieving absolutely nothing. That's the struggle we encounter day after day. But the choice is simple, me or him. Who's going to be in the driving seat today? Not I, but Christ. Trying to die makes us preoccupied with what we are not. Whatever you focus on will loom large in your vision. Living in Christ Jesus makes us preoccupied with him. Alive to God, we automatically are dead to ourselves. We can't look in two directions at once. A double-minded man, James says, is unstable in all his ways. Allowing God to make his home in us, to live in us, and make the changes necessary for his dream for us to come true is not without pain on days. But keeping our focus on God's constancy, kindness, mercy and love will always always lead us to triumph over ourselves and any other obstacle that happens to be in our way. Life in the Spirit is about digging out a well, it's about displacement, it's about letting the Lord take out of you what shouldn't be there, so he can put in what he most wants to give you. It's about making sure that the Holy Spirit has enough room inside you to move and accomplish all he wants to accomplish. Most believers don't practice agreement between themselves and the Holy Spirit. They can be soulish, led mostly by feelings and heavily influenced by rational thinking. The starting point for spiritual breakthrough lies in the will. Often before God can do anything in us he has to get hold of our will. It's through the will that faith is appropriated or comes. And so in relinquishing our will, we make room for God to work in us because he can't do through us what he hasn't been able to do in us. God gave you a will so that you would never be at the mercy of your emotions. Our soul has to learn to submit to our spirit and grin and bear it until it's trained to serve us, not us serving it. If we don't possess our soul it will end up possessing us. This thing has to be mastered and our will needs to be placed securely in God's hands. It's the safest place I know to keep it. Our soul is made up of our mind, our emotions and our will. And sometimes our emotions want to run the show. There's nothing wrong with emotions, God gave them to us, but when they are the ruling force in our lives something is radically wrong. Our emotions are there to serve us not the other way round. They aren't wrong. For the most part they are healthy and releasing. Sometimes I really need to laugh and sometimes tears are the only way for relief to come. But this is only a part of me and I don't allow it to dominate my life. Our emotions and thought life are designed to enable us to focus on our Creator so that we may change our perspective and see things the way he sees them. We need to learn to live from the inside out not the other way round. I really would recommend that you get hold of Graham Cook's book Towards a Powerful Inner Life where he explains the whole issue of the battle between the soul and the spirit. Many of us I believe walk around not realizing there is a battle going on and thinking that we are in the spirit when we are actually still firmly in the flesh because we have not recognized what the Holy Spirit is within us for and how that battle actually feels. So I would recommend you get it you can go, if you have a computer, onto www.brilliantbooks.com and download it as an ebook, which is very cheap and easy, or you can send for it from uh, Brilliant Books. Absolutely amazing thing, and you should work through it, not just read it. So if our thought lives and emotions are more active than our will, we will move into carnality and not spirituality. We will live our lives not feeling right about people, things and circumstances. And the ruling force will be what we think. And feelings are not the yardstick either. Our feelings will rule us, if we allow them to, to the point of ruin. Our feelings will take us into places we really have no business going. It felt right, so I did it. Carnality essentially is about us wanting to live for God on our terms. We refuse to relinquish our control to him, and we become religious, pious, pharisaical, holier-than-thou. All the time we're actually living to please ourselves having a form of godliness but denying its power. This way of thinking leads to elitism and superiority in the body of Christ and you can look around right now and see some Christian groups who've fallen into this trap. Again it's the outward show of godliness and humility. Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs. They're marked by exclusion, not inclusion. They have forgotten that Jesus came to the tax collectors and prostitutes of this world. They've never understood that God is inclusive in all that he does. How often do we exclude people because they do not fit with what we require of them, or don't think or see things the way we do? If you weren't here yesterday when we did this, just take a moment right now to look at the people around your life, those whom you feel the most difficult. Draw a circle and include them inside it with you. Bless them and pray for them. You will be amazed how that will change your heart and attitude towards them and in some cases it will change their attitude towards you. Love is a circle. Love is inclusive. Love is the most important thing. It was love that propelled Jesus from his throne above to become saviour of the world. Not just saviour of those who would believe. He would that all men be saved we are meant to be an expression of His love on this earth, doing good. We are meant to be inclusive, not exclusive. But we cannot do that in our own strength. It has to be through what God does in us so that He can do it through us. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is the key. Yielding to His Desire, giving Him executive control, is the whole of the key to the Christian walk. So, what's God doing on the inside of you right now? And how much are you allowing Him unhindered access? We're constantly on the lookout for something new, but beloved, we do not need anything new. We need to start putting into practice the things we already know. New tickles our ears and excites our emotions, but often results in no further action than a feeling of being on a spiritual high. Putting God in a box until the next week, the next meeting, the next conference or whatever results in weakness. He is your life. Everything else is peripheral. is your life he is the one you will spend eternity with when Christ who is your life appears we shall be like him we're to start living our lives now in anticipation of that day bags packed ready for his glorious appearing and when we hear the call time gentlemen please we won't be worried or upset will be ready. So let's be ready eh, to keep from having to get ready. You may need to go from faith to knowledge this weekend. Faith is what takes you into a situation. Knowledge is what brings you out the other side. When you know by experience he is good, he takes care of you, it's been proved in the furnace of your experience. Through the trial you've experienced the keeping power of God and a man with an experience is beyond reason. You've just moved from believing, from faith, to knowledge. Believing and faith are like a bridge to knowledge. Until we know we're walking across the bridge of faith, we're walking across the bridge of believing that God will see us through this particular trial He will meet our particular need. When we get to the other side, we know He will. It's in our knower. I don't need to keep believing that God is good. I don't have to keep telling myself God is good, God is good. I know He is. I have gone from faith to knowledge. I don't have to keep telling myself He's kind. I know He is. Is relentlessly kind to me. Faith is the bridge between believing and knowing and you don't need faith once you know. So we're going from faith to knowledge all the time or we should be. Don't duck out of the situations and circumstances that are in your life right now. They are designed to take you from faith to knowledge. Everything in your life is designed by God to take you into a deeper, higher place in Him. Nothing is accidental. Nothing is coincidence. It is all in His sovereign plan and will for your life. God is intentional, always. And He wants us to know those intentions. He's a God who reveals Himself doesn't hide he never has he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve he was there with them he hasn't changed we are his people and the sheep of his pasture we are his flock and he cares tenderly for us every moment of every day unceasingly he is unceasingly magnificent and we are the eternal companion of an incredible king Your inheritance is about you being sure, certain, and confident in who God is for you. No matter how life spins you around, when you stop spinning, you are oriented totally on who God is. Your inner compass, your magnetic north, will centre back on Him. Jesus made a number of statements about life in the spirit. John 10.10. He said that the devil is a thief who comes to kill, steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, bountifully, abundantly. It's God's intention that we understand he seeks to give us a life so lavish, so exuberant, so teeming with possibilities, so overflowing with joy and laughter that we can be generous with all that we are and all that we have and never run out. We can give ourselves away and still see a multiplication. God doesn't do division. We can live a life so plentiful and so abounding in provision that it would take us to a place so far above the level of the destroyer that he would be subject to us in our generosity. I'm working on that. That we would live so far above poverty that poverty would be subject to our generosity. But that may take a change of mindset. Do you think it's possible that the devil has lied to us to the extent that we have accepted a lower level of spirituality than that which God intends we should have? Could it be that the destroyer has systematically cheated, robbed and stolen from us that which is our rightful inheritance in Christ and we're not even aware of it? Has he stripped us of our glory without our realising it has gone? Tired, defeated Christians, living lives of quiet desperation, boredom and monotony. The sign of a bankrupt faith Graham Cook says is that your plastic is full but not your life. I'm sorry sir your card has been declined. Into that place of quiet desperation comes the voice that says I am the way into that abundance and it comes through being intimately acquainted with me and you can as- access it through a real one-to-one relationship with me. If you aspire to be in ministry you will need to know that lifestyle is more important than ministry because there will come a time when you have to shoot your ministry in the head and go for lifestyle because everything flows from your relationship with the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Outside of that, there's absolutely nothing. No power, no authority, no anointing, no provision. If you first have the lifestyle, you will always have the gifting and the provision. If you walk with Jesus, he will tell you everything you need to know to live this life of fullness. And the first truth that Jesus wants you to grasp is that he is the life. It's Him living in you that guarantees all the abundance you may require. So we begin this journey in terms of how to stay connected to the one who loves us with all of his heart. And we learn that to be fruitful we need to stay connected to the vine. You can't appropriate any fruit of the Spirit without becoming like Jesus. There's only one life to be lived, his through you. Displacement. One of you's got to get out and it isn't going to be him. A tree waits for the sap, which is its life, to rise through the trunk from the roots and up into the branches. The job of the branch is to stay connected and in due time fruit will come. The branch does nothing but stay connected, but if it's cut off, it loses its ability to bring forth fruit. So with us. We have to learn to stay in the place God put us, in Jesus. We are in Him and He is in the Father. We are double wrapped. Smith Wigglesworth had a revelation of the truth of this while he was walking along the seashore one day. He saw a bottle bobbing in the sea and he said to himself, The water is in the bottle and the bottle is in the water. I get it. You are in me and I am in you. Beloved we are surrounded. We are like the bottle bobbing about in the water. The water is in us and it's around us. We are surrounded, we are covered. He has everything covered. If we knew the gift of God. When God says he wants to give you something, assume the position. Every day we are meant to have an encounter with God. Every day he wants to touch us afresh. He loves every connection he has with us. He doesn't stand up in heaven waiting for us to measure up with a stick behind his back in case we don't. Maybe some of us need to upgrade how we see the Father. We have to keep coming round to a more powerful and simple way of seeing who we are and whose we are. There is a mindset about heaven that comes from heaven so that we can be heavenly minded enough so that we can do the earth some good. It takes a transformation of your mind to begin to think as heaven does but it has to start sometime. What we've had up till now in this country that passes for church is monotonous, boring and dull. We need a change of mindset to align ourselves with how heaven sees us so we may begin to live the life that Jesus died to give us that we might be some earthly good. And the next step on our journey is abandonment. Abandonment to Jesus. Abandonment to the Sovereignty of God Jesus said of myself I can do nothing he made it clear that the Father did it through him because of his complete abandonment to the will of the Father he said I can do nothing of myself he wasn't God pretending to be man he was both fully man and fully God He was and is an earthly, heavenly man. He touched heaven and earth at the same time. He fully identified with us in our physical bodies, but won for us our spiritual inheritance on the cross. He bought back that which we'd lost, the lost glory, to enable us to be at once earthly and heavenly people. As we move on in this weekend we'll see that we are recognized in both realms. We are recognized by those around us in our earthly identity. And we are recognized in heaven by God the Father in Christ where we have a heavenly identity and calling. We're also recognized in the heavenly realm by the enemy. He knows who we are. Touching heaven touching earth. If Jesus did what he did as a man living in God then we have a responsibility to pursue that lifestyle. Jesus walking on water as a man inspired Peter to have a go. If it's you, bid me come. Peter knew that Jesus was a man and if he could do it as a man why not Peter? He never asks anything of us that he doesn't give us everything that we need to do the job. He knows what we're made of. He got hot, sweaty, dirty and exhausted. He knows what it feels like to suffer the restriction of a human frame. He was tempted in all points, as the writer to the Hebrews says, yet without sin. Jesus lived with the same limitations as we have. But he was a man in right relationship with God and he performed miracles, signs and wonders because of that. He promised us before he went to the Father that we would do greater things than he had. That's our inheritance. Learning to live in a limiting world with limitless resources at our disposal. But to come into that We need to learn how to abide in the Father, revel in the fact that we are tiny, and revel in His immensity, and find our place in His plan for our lives. There is a place in the Spirit with your name written on it. Currently that's what my journey is about, finding that place and abiding in it. My imagination needs an upgrade. Without the very real help of the Holy Spirit I can't dream outrageously. But that is what God wants for us all, to dream outrageously. What if the Lord wants your relationship with the Father to occupy a higher place in your understanding? What if the fun part of your life is learning to be like Jesus and then learning to do the things he did. Abundant life is a life that can't be starved. It's too abundant. It's a life that cannot be starved because it's a life that feeds other people. Do you remember what I said in the last session? It's God's intention that we understand that he seeks to give us a life so lavish, so exuberant, so teeming with possibilities, so overflowing with joy and laughter, that we can be generous with all that we are and all that we have and never run out. We can give ourselves away and see a multiplication. God doesn't do division. We can live a life so plentiful and so abounding in provision that it would take us to a Place so far above the level of the destroyer that he will be subject to us in our generosity. But that might take a change of mindset. What we're heading towards is being broken bread and poured out wine to feed and nurture others out of our abundance. Abundance is the more you give the more you receive. Jesus said, didn't he? Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, running over into your laps. What if one of the ways the enemy has robbed us is in our giving of ourselves? Because he's made us so frightened of loss, so unable to unclench our hands and give away what we have to those less fortunate. Jesus poured out his soul unto death. Do you think we are any different? So Jesus poured out his soul unto death. Do you think we're meant to be any different? What if your role in the earth is simply to believe that God is wonderful? I hear a sigh of relief. What if your role is just to tell people how amazing, incredible, outrageous he is and that you are living an expectant life every day because you're sure something remarkable is going to happen because of who God is for you. Sometimes we speak and listen so casually to God. If you're going to hear, you have to match His intentionality. He has an intention to speak, therefore you must listen. God speaks to us according to the life we have. He knows your life. He knows my life. He knows what it consists of and he'll speak to you as you set aside time with an open heart to listen. And he won't ask of you what he knows your life will not contain. What's your rule of life? Those of you who attend on Wednesday know we touched on this one. What is it that everything passes through in your life? like a sieve. Mine is everything for an audience of one. Everything I do is to be for his affirmation and approval. Therefore I don't care an awful lot about what people say about me or to me. My rule of life is everything all and only for him. What's yours? Me first? I'm playing with you. What if your deepest desire was to be a friend of God? Abraham was. Sonship is given, friendship is earned by faithfulness and obedience. Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. What's your desire in God? What's the next thing you want to experience in Him? Whatever it is, He will be putting that in you because it's the next thing he wants to give you. Remember, it's always the same. He initiates, we respond. If you're saying, Lord, I need to be confident in you, guess what? He's putting that desire in so that he can work it through you in the circumstances and situations you encounter. He will give you the desire and then he will work it in by your experience and you will know. So what's God's command to us? To love and give to all around you as you'd like to be loved and receive in return? He says, seek the kingdom and all these things will come to you. Matthew six, thirty-three. Is this another area that we've been robbed in the kingdom? Are we living substandard lives instead of living kingdom lives? To live kingdom lives, we have to set our, our sights higher, to set our affections on things above and not on the earth beneath. That's Colossians 3. To move into our heavenly calling and not be earthbound in our thinking. That we stop worrying about things and look to the kingdom. The kingdom is abundance, fullness, such as I have I give, stewards not owners. Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. What are you doing with it? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's that? It's a life above where you live right now turkeys or eagles you get to choose which you will be. There are heavenly seating arrangements in Christ in the third heaven. The first heaven is where we are. The second heaven is the atmosphere where the Prince of Darkness patrols and the third heaven is far above, all that way, way outside the stratosphere. That's where Jesus was raised to and is seated. And that's where we are positionally. Isn't it time that we came into this part of our inheritance? The goal of our life must be to live there because you get a different perspective at the top of a mountain than you do in the valley. The call is to come up higher, come up here and see from my perspective. You have to see life from heaven's viewpoint two realities, earthly and heavenly. You have to see what he is seeing and saying in any given circumstances. That is the most important thing. We have to train ourselves to see beyond what we see with our natural eyes and ears and hear in the spirit what God is saying about the situation. Otherwise we stay turkeys. We're earthbound. Lifestyle is always more important than gifting. Gifting flows naturally from lifestyle. A life lived in God will always be fruitful. Abiding in the vine, you cannot help but bring forth good fruit. Let yourself go in this life. Let his life flow through you. Am I living entirely in this? No, but I'm aiming for it all day, every day. No longer two lives to be lived but one, his through me. I'm standing in the gap between promise and fulfillment and I'm not giving up. I want to inherit. If you lose your life in the act of giving, you'll always find it in greater measure, Jesus said so. He who loses his life will gain it, but he who seeks to keep his life will lose it. We've lost the art of staying connected and we've filled our lives with things that God hasn't necessarily given us and sometimes the debt is crippling. We've traded astonishment, amazement and wonder for something much less. It's time to get back to a life of simplicity and childlike wonder about who God is. It's time to surrender to the real life to come back to the place we've departed from. We put all the emphasis on God doing something and not on us actually accepting who we are in Christ, what he's already done and what he did on Calvary and living in that. It's time to come to the place that God has set aside for you in Christ. Owning up to it and understanding that you are your own revival every single day. You can be renewed, refreshed and revived by staying connected to him. You will not be meeting dependent, you will not be looking to the next visiting speaker or the next conference, but you will be living each day in day compartments, locked into the love of God for you and giving it away to anyone who will have it. When you have an experience of who God is for you, no one can deny it. You are living it, and they can see it in you. Peter said at the gate, beautiful, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give. And the lame man walked. Beloved, I'm sure that this is all part of our inheritance to live in the love of God and give it away to recognize that Jesus came to save us from our self-life, from the life that protects ourselves. He wants us to realize that He is our protection, He is our strong tower, He is our rock, He is our defense and everything we need is in Him, in Christ. This is why alignment is so important you align yourself with God first and allow the Holy Spirit to tutor you into what you are becoming, all the while living in that place. I am the eternal companion of an incredible king. As you begin to accept and acknowledge who you really are, your life will come into alignment with what God says about you. You are my beloved. You are my chosen one. He doesn't have a plan B. We are it, the only plan he has. We're coming into a time where our relationships are more important than our function. I'm part of the worship team. That, beloved, is your function. It is not who you are. None of this will happen outside of intimacy with the Father. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. It's how he sees you that matters. It is his perception of you that must govern your life. You may see yourself as Punchinello, Max Lucado's little wooden person, but he sees you as an Abraham, a Moses, as Gideon, Deborah, Esther, Ruth, kings and queens, warriors. He sees not what you see. Are you getting it, beloved? He sees you as he created you to be. It's not about what you think, perceive or see. It is his opinion of you that counts, has substance, is real. Hear it beloved, hear it. You are not what you think you are. You are what he says you are. And he will only speak to your potential, to what he sees. He won't speak to your low self-esteem or your self-pity. If he sees you as Queen Esther it's no good saying you're having a bad hair day. He will speak to the place he has put you and the person he created you to be. That is where he requires you to stand. God will expose all your areas of fear and negativity because he wants to deal with them. You don't want them. Let him have them. Give him permission. Whatever it is that's holding you back right now from total absolute surrender to his sovereignty, ask him to show you and then let him have it. So we'll take a break there. And you can ask him what holds you back from absolute surrender to his unfailing love. What stops you believing that his intention towards you is only ever good? Amen.